Well, I've got good news and bad news, everybody. The good news is you're listening to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast is all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. The bad news is we're all dead. Uh, my name is Stephen Foxworthy, and I am your host. And joining me, as always, uh, someone who may or may not have just ingested a brain parasite from an alien world, is my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Uh, throw me, Stephen. I'm I'm doing my best, man. There's only you so guys are much stealing all do. my lines. <laughs> <laughs> and that other melodious voice that you hear, whose lines we are stealing wholesale, uh, is our good friend returning back to the show. Uh, you might know him as a contributor to Bloody Disgusting, Man or Vellum. Uh, he's all over the internet. He is also the co-host of the Movies for Life podcast. You probably also know him from the Shocker episode of the disenfranchised podcast. Welcome back to the show, Brian Kuyper. All I have left is it's Miller time. Hey, you know what? I'll drink to that. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> so now that we've gotten all the good movies or the good uh, quotes from this movie out of the way, uh, Brett, what movie are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about 1986's Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps. Yes, 1986's Night of the Creeps, written and directed by one Fred Decker and uh, starring Jason Lively, Steve Marshall, Jill Whitlow, the great Tom Atkins, uh, Wally Taylor, Bruce Solomon, Vic Polizos, Alan Kayser, uh, some other people, uh, but of note, Academy Award nominee David Paymer is in this movie, and uh, as well as the great Dick Miller, and so many uh, hidden cameos that I was talking with uh, Brian about before we started recording. Um, a lot of people that I did not see, uh, Greg Nicotero's in this movie, Shane Black's in this movie, um, all sorts of uh, of little cameos from some of Fred Decker's friends. I didn't notice them either. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they're they're hiding in there, so so we could not see them. Uh, now, Brian, this was most this of was, them are zombies, you know. Uh, I, that I mean, yeah, that, that does make sense. Kind of fill out the zombie apocalypse happening here. I mean, and you know, when when you got a kind of a shoestring budget to put together mm -hmm. a movie like this, you you call up your friends, you say, hey, you want to be a zombie for a day? And uh, I mean, if your friends are anything like Fred Decker's friends, they're going to sign up for that in a heartbeat. So yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Now, Brian, after uh, shortly after we recorded the Shocker episode, you sent me a DM on Twitter and said, hey, I need to do Night of the Creeps. Um, so when we when we found when we were able to find the room in our schedule, we're like, let's get Brian back on and talk Night of the Creeps. So so, Brian, what is it about Night of the Creeps that uh, that said, you know what, this is one I have to cover on on the Disenfranchised podcast? Well, it's funny because I I had heard of this movie forever. But I hadn't seen it until I, I think 2018 or 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so it's pretty, pretty recent that I've really come to even see this movie. And I, it just hit me right in the sweet spot. I mean, it was just like, this is exactly my kind of thing. I, it's quickly become one of my absolute favorite horror comedies. Um, was like where I mean when I don't know where else I'd be able to talk about Night of the Creeps except on a failed franchises podcast because and yeah yeah this is one of those movies where you know Fred Decker is he he went straight from this to Monster Squad 
another failed franchise in my which opinion. we will talk about yep no we'll yeah. add it's on our list absolutely yeah yeah big favorite of mine for since i since it came out you know and then you know he did robocop 3 and his career ended yeah. <laughs> it pretty much as a director um so he was never he has never directed another film um and it's not f- because he doesn't want to um he's written some things um, but it just hasn't had a lot of luck, um, in, in Hollywood. And I think it's a shame because this movie to me, um, the energy, uh, it shows a lot of promise f- uh, just as just an ability as a filmmaker and a storyteller, uh, in just telling a really unique, fun story, uh, that's sort of boiled together from all these ideas from, you know, B movies and detective stories and, you know, just the things he obviously consumed ad nauseum as a child, you know, <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> going on this. here. You can definitely pick up on, on his influences. Cause even just in that first opening scene, those first like five to seven minutes uh, of the opening, you've got, you know, something, a bunch of little aliens running around that look a lot like the ghoulies, um, you've mm-hmm. got alien experiments gone awry, which is of course the, the flagship of every great fifties sci-fi horror film. Um, you've got the, the escape convict slasher thing. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you've the, the alien brain slugs thing. Like there's so much happening just in those first 10 minutes and you're like, you've got music from the shining. I, where is this movie going to go is what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm along for the ride, like strapped in, let's go, let's do this thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, Brett, what, what is your uh, exposure to uh night of the creeps? When did you first see it? Have, have you, uh, is it something you've loved a long time or, uh, something you've just most more recently come to, uh, last night. Okay. My first, ex- my first experience with this movie. I don't know why I'd never seen it. I wish I'd seen it sooner. Um, cause this movie's great. Uh, and I'd seen it, you know, referenced in the horror community online. I've seen people talking about it, never knew what the memes and the pictures were from until I watched this movie. Um, yeah, Tom Atkins with a, with a coconut in his hand. And now, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, or is the Bradster looking all zombified in the doorway? Oh, we're going to, we're going to totally get into the Bradster. The, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's even a whole like eighties revenge of the nerds animal house oh, subplot yeah. thing going on here. Like this movie is jam packed full of all the things Fred Decker clearly loves. Yeah. And I mean, if the fact that it's what it's only, is it even 90 minutes? I'm not sure. I didn't look. <laughs> Let me double check. I've got yeah, the, the, the runtime. It's like, it's, it's like just under 90 minutes, I think. Yeah. Which perfect length. I mean, this thing yeah, just 88 minutes, which is, yeah, there you, go. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> according to Elric Kane on the uh, Pure Cinema podcast, 88 minutes is the length of a perfect movie. So, <laughs> so. I mean, need we say more? No, yeah. this is, I mean, no, and it, and it zips by like it's perfectly paced, like you're mm-hmm. in it, you're having a good time. And then the next thing you know, like it's done and you're like, okay, let's watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. I did. I, I watched, <laughs> I watched the theatrical cut, spun around and put in the director's cut and nice. watched, watched it again. And the only difference between the two is the ending. 
Okay, so I watched the director's cut because that was what okay. was available for me to rent because I don't own this. Okay. Now, I, yet, I will say, because this is this is a fun enough movie. I'm probably going to want to have this just yeah. around. Uh, um, the Scream Factory um, uh, disc or the their release is great. It's got both versions on it and it's got tons of interviews and you know, all kinds of stuff on it. So it's I've said great. it before on this podca- podcast, but those Scream Factory people, they do good work. They really do. Yeah. They do. I've I've never What's, had a bad experience with one of their one of their products. So so what what is I don't know which one I watched. I rented it on Amazon, so I don't know which what what are the differences between the two endings. Okay, so the ending of um, the theatrical cut is very very brief. Um, what happens is the Kappa House or the the sorority house blows up. They're outside, and then. Um, uh, Chris and Cynthia kiss and then the dog shows up uh, and Cynthia goes down to pet it and it spits a a slug straight at the screen and that's oh, the nice I mean that's um, kind of a cool ending not gonna lie yeah it has it has an energy to it um, whereas the uh, director's cut um, has Tom Atkins corpse burnt corpse wander out of the house uh, fall on the ground and worms uh, the slugs kind of squirt out of his head and travel into a cemetery and then the uh, the alien ship comes overhead shining <laughs> spotlights trying to find it at the end that was the part that killed me is that spotlight comes on and starts like yeah. moving around like a looney tunes cartoon and i yeah. i lost it and then you pan out and the the spaceship's just kind of hovering there like shining its light in various places around the cemetery and i i was gone i was like that's such a perfect way to end this movie like it's yeah. so good so brett yeah, so what version like did dir- you see the, the director's cut yeah i like okay. the director's cut version better yeah, I mean, I think both both endings work really well, but they both the do. <laughs> I actually like them both. Usually, you're like, "Well, this one's clearly the better one." I think I prefer the director's cut ending, but that's also the one that I've seen. But mm-hmm. that that original theatrical ending sounds really, really fucking fun. If I'm not, if I'm being honest, that sounds really fun. Yeah, it's a great sort of B movie, you know, the end question mark kind of. Uh, kind of ending you know <laughs> which i mean both of those set this thing up for sequels that it unfortunately sure never got um which is why we're talking about it here on the disenfranchised podcast boom full circle yeah. and that's our night of the creeps episode no i'm just kidding um <laughs> good night everybody good night everybody we got so much more to talk about let's go ahead and so we've kind of already well since we've already addressed the ending let's go ahead and get into the plot of Night of the Creeps, uh, our little segment we call The Plot in 60 Seconds. And Brian, as our guest, you have graciously volunteered uh, to recount the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less. So whenever you are ready, I will uh, go ahead and start the timer. I'll give you the 30 and the 10 second warnings as usual, uh, but at your leisure, sir. Fair enough. Okay, so I did uh, write it down because totally okay i'm not going to be able to get it out if i don't that's fine (laughs) that we we allow it we just don't do it ourselves because we can't be bothered that's (laughs) excellent excellent okay well i'm right then your time starts now fred decker's tribute to b movies of every stripe uh, begins with an experiment released from an alien spaceship landing near corman university in 1959 on the same night Rookie Ray Cameron's ex-girlfriend is killed by an axe-wielding escaped mental patient. 
That's all in black and white, by the way. Yes. In 1986, two college schmucks, Chris Romero and J.C. James Carpenter Hooper, unwittingly released the experiment, which seconds. now inhabits a corpse on the university to pledge a fraternity to impress Cynthia Cronenberg. Soon, slithering slugs that turn people into zombies by laying eggs in their brains are unleashed all over Sorority Road. Um Grown up grizzled and right out of a Raymond Chandler novel, Detective Ray Cameron investigates, eventually joining forces with Chris seconds. to fight the fiends with a flamethrower, shotgun, hairspray, and cigarettes and a lawnmower. And I have good news and bad news. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. Thrill me. That is perfect. Oh my God. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right on the nugget, sir. That's up there. That's well up there. done. That's that's gotta that's, be it. That's gotta be like a top two or three. That's that yeah, all right. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. That minute goes faster than you think, doesn't it? It really does. It yeah. really there I, I think next week's episode, which we recorded yesterday, might be the all-time worst example of the plot in 60. Uh, by one of us, I, I won't tell you which one, but the one, the one who it is, is, is currently indicating that. Um, so, so you can see Brian, but our audience cannot yeah. see that's, that's what, uh, look, it's, it's fine. It's me. Uh, I'll just be honest. Uh, Cause look, spoilers for next I, week, guys. I, I decided to do it without anything in front of me. I had just seen the movie. So I thought it wouldn't be that hard. I literally got done with the movie and we recorded. I was like, this can't be that hard. I just watched it. Um, no, it turns out real bad. If you don't have anything to reference at all, not a Wikipedia <laughs> page, no notes, nothing. Your uh, brain shuts down. It's crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a, a bit of a jump going from that incredible read to the one that Brett <laughs> does next week. But, uh, I think Enjoy it'll it. be, it'll be a source of humor if nothing else. <laughs> um, so that's something for you guys to look forward to next week. We'll we'll let you know what we're doing next week when we get to the end of the episode. But right now, we have got to talk about Night of the Creeps. And let's start, Brian, with something that you um that you definitely pointed out in your uh synopsis. Um all the references to all of the uh horror directors in mm -hmm. that every character with a last name shares it with a famous horror director uh of that time. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, Cronenberg, Corman University, yeah. um, uh, Hooper, Carpenter, Carpenter Romero, Romero uh, I'm running out. Ramey is in there. Uh, Miner, yeah, Steve Miner. Landis, Landis. Yeah. Uh, even the cat's name is Gordon after I'm assuming <laughs> Stuart Gordon. I didn't, even, that didn't even dawn on me. That's absolutely a hundred percent. Yep. But I mean, you've got all these like really great, and it, it reminds you that Decker is someone who is, I mean, he's a, a career screenwriter in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. The dude's been doing it for a long, long time. Uh, but he has amassed, I, I think, several friends in the horror community, uh, several friends in the Hollywood screenwriting community. I know he and Shane Black kind of got their starts together, which is yeah. why Black kind of shows up in this. Black really wanted to be, I think, a, an actor first who kind of fell backwards into screenwriting and then directing. But like Decker's been doing this a long time and he is... And I think a lot of horror films do this. A lot of horror filmmakers do this kind of put those homages and those references in their films. Um, too cute. Do we like it? Is it, is it too, uh, too, too much of a button to put on a thing or is, is this a, a fun Easter egg hunt for us? See, normally it would bug me. I would think it's, it's so stupid, but for somehow in this world, it completely works for me. 
it, it just feels right in this sort of bizarro universe that we're in because it's not quite reality. Yeah, you know, it's it, and it's. I don't think it's meant to feel like a real world. I think it's supposed to feel like a Corman movie world or something along that nature. You that know, be, and so sense. because of that, and so because of that, I'm cool with it. Whereas, you know, even even in Scream, I'm I, I and I love Scream, right? Especially Scream Four, um, right? But uh, you know, in the first movie, it's like this sounds like some sort of Wes Carpenter film. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I even roll my eyes a little at that, but which is fair, which is, yeah, but, but, and I, you know, me, you know how I love Craven, so I'm not gonna, right. you know, be, you won't disparage him too that. much. Sure. No, no. And, um, and it's not him anyway that <laughs> wrote that. So, right. That's um, Kevin Williamson. So, yeah. And your mileage yeah, but, may vary on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for some reason here, it doesn't bother me at all. I actually think it's just sort of, it's kind of necessary to the um, just the way the movie feels, you know, because it's so self-referential uh, to all these, you know, these B movies. I mean, you know, Decker calls it, you know, this whole thing was just sort of a B movie stew it is. You know, that had been percolating like- in my brain for, you know, 20 years before I went to make this movie. Yeah. And he and he puts it. He he really does kind of put it all out there, uh, Brett. Your your thoughts on the uh, on the the character naming convention, uh, which again is is a fairly common thing in in these types of movies. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. I liked that it was is subtle at first because like you hear Cindy's last name and you're like, wait a minute, is that supposed to be a reference? But you don't really think anything of it because that's a weird last name to have, right? Um, <laughs> Then I think the Ramey, next one get is, over here. And... Yeah, the next one is Ramey, and I'm like, wait a minute. Is he doing what I think he's doing? <laughs> yeah. And then when they're getting interrogated, and their last, his last name's Carpenter, and I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Well, yeah, because you, uh, do, you do Romero, Carpenter, Hooper, and Landis all in a row. It's yeah. like, it's Chris Romero, uh, James Carpenter, Hooper, Detective Landis, Homicide. And you're like, okay. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> okay. I, if I didn't I was get it before, I see what you're doing. I definitely get it now. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. I thought I thought it was great. It was fun spotting all the last names. Well, and, and but that, for whatever that, reason, I never have thought of that with Cameron, with Ray mm-hmm. Cameron, because yeah. I I don't I don't know. Well, I, Cameron I guess I was don't... still so new at that point. Like Terminator yeah. had just come out a couple years before, and mm-hmm. this is the year that Aliens comes out. So you may not put that that button on it with Cameron but I right. think he definitely fits the mold I mean he well, had directed at, the, at that point to go ahead yeah at the time at the time yeah at the time yeah he'd already now in hindsight, two and like, Terminator so but yeah, yeah. now well, and like, I also uh, think the Dick, yeah I also think the whole Dick Miller scene is a direct reference to Terminator yes absolutely you know. it is and I the <laughs> fact that it's Dick Miller just made me so you and I Brian of course talked about Dick Miller gremlins yeah <laughs> not that long ago on the pod and the pendulum on their gremlins episode we had a good long talk about Dick Miller Brett do you have any thoughts or feelings or opinions on Dick Miller that we haven't talked about on the Joe Dante movies that we've covered <laughs> I mean, look what's not to love it's, it's yep there it is he's a he's a cinematic national treasure just he Love is the guy. he just yeah. the, the way he just kind of pops in and every time he does you're just like oh, it's dick miller like i didn't i did that not expect to miller. see him in this one mm-hmm. and i was just i saw any pot I, like, I didn't know you dick miller was in there it's great i was having a good time 
I I just need to say this might be the best Tom Atkins role ever. Is that think is that so. fair to say? I, it's definitely his favorite yeah. of his movies, but I, I yeah. prefer this to Halloween three. Um, I've seen him in a couple other things, but I, this this for me has got to be just the best use of Tom Atkins. I would, I would agree. I don't know. Uh, Brian, thoughts, Tom Atkins? Um, you know, this was I had never really thought about Tom Atkins much before seeing this movie. I'm sorry to say I know he's sort of a beloved figure. And I have I had seen Halloween three and everything. I think he's great in that. But man, when I saw his, when I saw this, I was like, oh, Tom Atkins, you know, mm-hmm. it was it's just like, OK, I get it with with this performance. It makes me wonder why he's not why people aren't having him do that in everything. Like, why yeah. isn't he doing that in Halloween three? Uh, like that's such a, a specific mode and maybe it's just because it's the mode is so specific, but like, that's what he's doing in this movie. I, I want to see him do that all the time. Well, it like, makes I don't me want anything. He would have been. Him. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think he would have been great in, you know, like, you know, a version of the long goodbye or, or, mm. you know, some, the shield Hammett stories or something oh like that. Gosh, have him play yes. in a modern version of Sam Spade or, or, uh, Hell yes. or something, you know? That would yes. be, <laughs> that would I be love, so great. I love what you're selling me here, Brian. This is absolutely fantastic. And I shame on Hollywood for not putting that together and making that happen. But yeah. I mean, he's he's essentially playing like an 80s action hero, but like he's he's a Polish sausage. Like, it, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but every time I see Tom Atkins, I think of a guy who's just like right before he came on set down like two Polish sausages and just chugged a really cheap beer and just sh- walked on set. Like he, that's just the vibe he gives off to me. And I, I mean not to disparage him at all. I think it's great. I love him for it, but like he's got the quips, like those eighties action movie quips, like the it's Miller time, good news and bad news. Thrill me. Like he's got those, those beats and those moments and those things that he says, um, and but he's in the body of Tom Atkins instead of like a, Sol- a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or, you know, one of those imposing figures that we associate with these types of with those types of movies. Sure. I mean, he's sort of, um, you know, an 80s action hero by way of Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye. Yes. You right. Know. Who you would never you would never put 80s action star in front of the words Elliot Gould. I mean, you just wouldn't <laughs> do it. And you probably sh- wouldn't do it for Tom Atkins either. But after this movie, uh, should you? I think maybe you should. Because I'm I think so. Yeah, yeah I think he's he's doing he's doing the only thing he's not really doing that an 80s action star would do are like the, you know, just punching out a zombie with one one hit, like and making its brain explode. That's like the only thing he doesn't do. But everything else, he's he's pretty much taken care of. Like the the shotgun, the the hairspray with the cigarette, mwah, chef's kiss. I love it so much. Um, and that great shot where he spins around with the gun and just sort of oh, firing in the. <laughs> that may be my favorite shot of the movie when he jumps up and does yeah. that spin and just the look on his face and the uh, the way the camera like follows him. Like it's such a dynamic shot. It was, it's kind of one of those like, okay, this is going on your real Fred Decker. I see you. Okay. Like this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pretty shot for your scrapbook, but this film actually is very well shot. I was, I was impressed. I yeah. guess I, I guess I wasn't expecting much out of this movie and uh, it over delivered for me really big time. 
Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too. I mean, it's a directorial debut from someone who kind of, you know, lost his, you know, his cachet pretty quickly. Unfortunately, right. none of his movies did like any business at all, which is unfortunate. Which, yeah, because I mean, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen RoboCop three, but this one and Monster Squad are mm-hmm. to me two of my favorite you know, sort of standalone horror films ever, you know, um, they, I they mean, just monster squad is horror goonies. How can you not love that? I, I love a monster squad so much. I know. And the thing is, you know, I was like, I couldn't really watch the Freddy's and Jason's and stuff like that when I was that age. So when that came out, it was like, I know these monsters. I know Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I got, you know, the creature videotape when I was, this was the first videotape I ever bought with mm-hmm. for myself, you know. Um, so that was like, okay, I, I can connect with this and I can connect with these kids, you know, <laughs> and, you know, the quizzing of each other up in their treehouse. I, oh, yeah. I understood everything they were talking about. I was right with them in the Stephen King rules t-shirt, you know, um, cause I was reading Stephen King in fifth grade, you know, yeah. I, that kid. Um, <laughs> so, um, Fred Decker and I, I think are really on a wavelength here <laughs> and makes I, sense. Yeah. And, and so it, for me, the, one of the biggest tragedies of Hollywood is he didn't have a directorial career that really lasted beyond these two movies. I mean, yes, RoboCop three, notwithstanding. Okay. Um, that should, that should have been the one that broke him out, but that movie yeah. was just, I mean, on paper, that movie sounds like it should be incredible. Mm-hmm. Like you've got a Frank Miller script, you got Fred Decker directing, it's a RoboCop movie. And yeah. for whatever reason, when the pieces came together, it just didn't work. We can yeah. cover that one on unenfranchised. We could probably cover between the two of us, Brett, um, Fred Decker's entire oeuvre on either this podcast or the, on the Patreon feed. So cool. I'm into that. Yeah. So Brian, well, we'll let's have you back for monster squad and RoboCop three. Let's just have you back for love that. You're going to be our <laughs> I, Fred I think, Decker point person. I am. I am like, you know, seriously for me, when I got into night of the creeps, I was like Fred Decker. Cause I had listened to, there's a great interview with him on, um, uh, the the postmortem with mm. um Mick Garris, okay? Right. Uh, it required listening for any fan of his films because um he just lays it all out there for everything. He's doesn't pull any punches on on his own abilities or his own or anything. You know, he talks about, you know, his writing stuff that he's done. I actually uh referred to it again. I I, I wrote a piece for Manor Vellum that's coming out this month on um all through the house, the tales from the crypt story. Oh and yes, he wrote, he wrote that one for the television series. So I got to I got to look at that again, you know. And one of my first articles for Manor was on Night of the Creeps. Um, and I got to tell you, I I this guy is it's like this is my crusade to get this guy to be able to direct another movie, you know, because I think he's got it in him and I think he mm-hmm. could make something really cool. Um, and I, I would, think I'd love yeah. to see it personally. Oh man. I between, especially between what I saw in um, night of the creeps and monster squad. I was like, I want more of what this guy has to offer. 
Well, I think the thing he does that I think is really interesting, just just based on the fact that he did he wrote this and Monster Squad, this movie is very much like an 80s pastiche, like a slobs versus snobs, Revenge of the Nerds, Animal House style comedy mashed up with like the Roger Corman um, kind of b-movie sensibility like it's those Mm -hmm. two very specific things smashed together and it works so incredibly well and then monster squad is it's the same kind of thing it's that spielberg donner dante amblin kind of kids movie with a little stephen king kind of sprinkled in mixed with the universal monster movies of the 30s and 40s and you mm-hmm. smash those two things together. And again, it shouldn't work, but it works so well. Like yeah. he's really good at making two great tastes that you don't think will taste great together. Taste really great together. Yeah. Um, just, just looking at those two movies, that seems to be like something he does particularly well. And so I would love to see him make me take a couple of those ideas from the current zeitgeist and kind of, or maybe something from the current zeitgeist and something from, his own youth or from his own experience and kind of smash those things together and see what other fun Fred Decker mashups we can come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see it clearly. (laughs) Oh yeah. No. And I think, I think we all should. Um, Does anyone know, and this is something I ask this only because it is something that literally haunted me for the entire movie. Does anyone know what else Jason lively has been in? I do know, and if you don't know, I can tell you, but I, I spent the whole movie going, I know this kid from something, and well, it wasn't until the final scene of the movie that I went, that's what I know him from. European Vacation, he plays that's, Russ. That's it. He's Rusty number two yeah. in the National Lampoon Vacation franchise, and I'm, because I watched all oh, of Amy, okay. I watched all of Amy Heckerling's movies last year, and that that's like her second or third go. movie. And I was like, I know this kid. Where do I know this kid from? This kid looks so familiar. And I didn't do the normal thing I do, which is hop on IMDb and look him up immediately because I was too engrossed in the movie. So I'm literally sitting there the whole movie going, where do I know him? And then the final scene where he and Cynthia run out of the basement, I'm like, National Lampoon's European Vacation. That's where I that's what I know him from. I don't know what about that scene tipped tipped me into that direction, but that was the moment where it clicked for me. I don't know. I can't explain it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I'd recognized him too. That, that okay. Thank you for that. Nope. <laughs> no, I feel problem. better now. <laughs> happy, happy to help. But yeah, no, I did. I spent the whole movie going. I know where do I know this kid? And he's not. I mean, he's not done a lot of other things. Um, nah. I think. I think he's done another movie we can cover though, because I think Brainstorm is. Uh, I think Brainstorm fits our criteria, if I'm not mistaken. So we 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 will be talking about Jason Lively again, most likely at some. Point. One of the things I love about this movie is. Um, where it starts and where it ends up is like how, you know, because yep. uh, uh, you start out in space, you start out on a, a this, I don't know, this hallway essentially is all it is. And you mm-hmm. have these aliens that are sort of pseudo ET looking um, shooting at each other running down. <laughs> it's just. It's just crazy. They look, and then they look like ghoulies, gremlins. They, I mean, they have like, they're just yeah. like babies with angry faces, like naked mm-hmm. babies with angry faces and jaundice skin is yeah. what these things look like. Yeah, and that's, it, that's it. And they're naked. <laughs> and, <Which> yeah. <laughs> completely naked. I mean, you don't see it. They don't, apparently they don't have bits, but you don't, I mean, yeah, but yeah. Right. 
and um you know so and then you know it goes to this whole black and white sequence in the late 50s mm-hmm. and you, you hear news of an axe murderer has escaped and he turns from, off the radio i'm like you fool and he turns turn off radio. that radio yeah that might be and, i think that's something i think that a lot of movies that are like paying homage to like those 50s movies they have like something on the radio like it's in little shop of horrors it's in rocky uh-huh. horror picture show it's in this movie where you've got those pastiches and there's something very important to the plot on the radio that the character one of the characters just turns off turns randomly, off. and you're like yeah. you shouldn't have done that i mean yeah. that's foolish how dare you yeah i mean it it tips its hand pretty early that, you know, it's going to be, it's like near the vicinity of Corman University, you know, yeah. right there, it says, okay, I know what movie I'm in. And again, if you're um, not, if you're not putting those pieces together this early, yeah. you don't catch that. Like I didn't catch that right away yeah. until we, until I was in retrospect thought, okay, Corman University, of course, that's, that's exactly what we're watching right now. Yeah. And I it, mean, to show Ray as a Ray Cameron sort of as this young rookie too. and then have him disappear from the movie for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you see him on the beach. It's like, Oh, it's the same guy. You know, it takes it. It honestly, it took me a little bit to really realize what was entirely going on uh, yeah. with all I think that. If, if I didn't recognize the actress, I probably wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have put it together till much later. Yeah. When he tells the whole story about how he, uh, <laughs> came yeah. upon this whole situation yeah well and i think the dream sequence does a good job of kind of mm-hmm. drawing you to that as well because he kind of yeah. walks up behind and sees the thing but then you don't really put it together until later when he recounts that to chris yeah and you know one of the things the couple of things that are kind of interesting you know, okay they actually call the zombies zombies mm-hmm. big which, no-no in the zombie movie they're not yeah, zombies though are they they're they're uh brain parasite automatons i guess technically i was gonna say brett you're 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 something of a zombie i I, the closest thing this show has to a zombie expert what what are your thoughts on on the nature of the the undead creatures in this film they're technically zombies because they're walking undead but at the same time they're not because it's also a parasite is is real because real, I mean, if you're going to call wonky. these zombies, should you call deadites zombies? Because it's also a thing in possession I of mean, a dead body. A lot of people do call deadite zombies, and I don't agree with that. So, because right. right. they're more demons, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, Whereas these are more alien parasites than they are the actual reanimated undead. Although they are technically reanimated undead, so I mean, they it, are. But it's because of a parasites i mean we could we could argue this in circles for hours on it <laughs> i i think we kind of already have <laughs> yeah yeah well the, the point is it doesn't matter that much one of the things right. i do love no. is that is that it's like all kinds of dead things though you know yeah. it's things that have been long dead it's um animals <laughs> you know um i love that the axe murderer comes back i love the undead cat i love the undead dog Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that we were watching in the scene where the dog gets run over by the bus. My wife goes, well, that's a, that's a bad dog puppet. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's 86. The, the graphics aren't great, but yeah, you could definitely tell it's a, it's a puppet. <laughs> I kind of think that's the point though. I know. I, and I, I kind it, of agree with you too. It doesn't really do anything to hide 
that with the shot it's like Mm -hmm. let's put let's make this let's put this make this really look like we're in a corman film you know where the crab monster is made out of paper mache you know and you know it um because corman really didn't try to hide any of that stuff either so if you're gonna pay homage to 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 corman pay homage to corman yeah (laughs) so i actually kind of find the and the fact that you can see you know, the monofilament lines on the slugs as they're being dragged across the grass. I kind of love all that stuff, you know? <laughs> so this and, movie, it feels intentional. Like yeah, they're yeah. doing it because they're paying homage. So they're, yeah. they want to make it obvious. Yeah. That's what I think, especially with, you know, the cat puppet and well, I love that, you know, the cat jumps in the window and it's obviously a live, a living cat, you know, that yeah. doesn't have anything on it. And then they cut and it's this puppet with half its face ripped off. I just worm think that crawling out of its eye. It's great. Yeah. The worm. And you know, the same thing with the dog and, you know, it just goes from, you know, this dog that has like a little spot of fake blood on its face to like the puppet version that's got everything like chewed up, like half its face is gone. <laughs> and then every- Every time they shoot it after that, unless it's the puppet, it's being shot like from behind, like Uh after the bus crash, he's like walking toward the bus and crawling in the bus. And it's very intentional, like very carefully, like following him from Uh behind. So you don't see any of that dog's face (laughs) because then it would be obvious. Oh, man. I just and there's something charming about bad special effects. (laughs) particularly practical bad special Uh effects like i love i i'm a sucker for a practical effect i've said this on this podcast Mm -hmm. and many others any any podcast that'll let me say anything about special effects i will say that i am a sucker for practical effects Mm -hmm. my dog is too um but the just just when you can tell it's a real thing um I don't know. I just I'm willing to forgive a lot more when I can tell that it's actually people trying to do something practical. Yeah. And to think, you know, for me, even though this movie is, you know, it was filmed on an extremely low budget. The locations are fairly limited. It still feels Mm -hmm. really big to me. You know, there's a lot of background actors. There's a lot of stuff, people milling around. There's just lots of people coming in and out. Um, and somehow it, it just feels large, <laughs> even though it was made, uh, even though, you know, things like some of the special effects are. I think the way that they shoot it hand a little bit more. Right. I think the way they shoot it d- plays a big role in that, too, because it's it's that Orson Welles style where you've got like you've only got like 10 people, but you've got to film mm-hmm. them in such a way that makes them look like you've got a whole lot more. Ramey mm-hmm. ended up doing the same thing in, in army of darkness as well. Right. Like you shoot them in small groups in such a way that, Oh, it looks like the streets are literally full of these people. When in fact, you've maybe got 10 people in zombie makeup and yeah. you're just filming them in such a way that you are able to kind of make it seem like there's so many. And that, that contributes to the scope of the thing and the fact that it the fact that it begins and ends at least the director's cut with a spaceship also kind of helps it feel appropriately epic because it's this thing from this yeah. other world that over the course of 30 years because it's in cryosleep for close to 30 of those uh manages to in one night or two depending on your how you gauge the time frame uh manages to completely take over this small town and it's it's it, this small college town and it's great. It's yeah. absolutely fantastic. The way that it's done, like the story I think contributes the way it's shot contributes. Like, but you're right. It does feel, it feels a lot bigger than 
it is. And that I think is, is another reason to love this movie is, is that Decker's able to pull that off really well. Yeah. I, I seriously, I could just kind of pick a little element of this movie and just sort of go off on it for a while because I mean, so much there is that, yeah, and that and if you if if hey anything you particularly want to go off on Brian, go off. Please man. do. Okay. <laughs> well, some of the things that um, stand out that I've always okay for me this is horror comedy kind of at its best too. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it really is both. It's got it's got some great sort of gore gags and scares, mm-hmm. but it also has um, genuine funny stuff but it's all most of it is based on you know what we know of the characters and um that kind of thing it doesn't Uh, need to be as referential like i think if you get a lot of the references the things that it's referencing you're gonna have a better time but you don't need to understand those references to get that this is a comedy i think the worst thing you can do is go into this expecting a serious movie and being like man that was a because if if you're expecting a serious movie it's you're gonna have a bad time yeah well i mean there's things and there's also you know, I think there's a poignant element to it, you know, especially the relationship, you know, this friendship between JC and Chris, you know, mm-hmm. is really nice. And so when when um, JC, you know, the bathroom scene, which it always cracks me up, he's sitting in the stall and he's, you know, like writing something on the bathroom stall and behind his head written on it, it says Striper Rules, Striper which I think rules. is one of the yeah. funniest, funniest 80s joke that that I've seen in a movie. I I because you know growing up as a Christian kid in the 80s, yep. you know, <laughs> seriously. Uh-huh. That that just cracks me up every time. To hell and, with the devil, Brian. To yeah, hell that's with right. <laughs> so anyway, um but you know, no, that one got that, me too. Yeah, then you can discover that he can uh you know, light these things on fire and they kind of explode and um and there's also the, trying to read some of the graffiti on the walls in there. One of them mm-hmm. says "Go Monster Squad." Right, I did. You I know. did see that one. Yeah. Uh, so because he had already Decker had already made a deal to make Monster Squad while this movie was filming, so Good for that's him. why that's why he was able to make it, even though um, Night of the Creeps didn't do particularly well um, yeah. on its release. Yeah. Uh, so. I tell you, it's just, it's just lots of fun stuff in it. Um, but when we find out that JC is is dead, you know, mm-hmm. has been a, that's really something. You know, he goes over to uh, Cameron's house, and Cameron is laying on the couch, right, and he's ignoring the door. Yeah. That he walks over and he just pulls duct tape off the door frame and you don't entirely know why, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. He opens the door and he says, you know, they got alfalfa because he's spanky and alfalfa. He'd been calling um, them that the whole movie up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a moment I think of genuine emotion too. It you is. Know? And then, and then when you have Adkins go over and just like, <laughs> he has his oven open and he just turns it off before leaving the room and he's like oh i see yep because because this whole encounter with the reanimated you know axe murderer that killed his long lost love mm-hmm. um his uh was he was going to commit suicide it's just like this is this is heavy stuff for a movie like this you know it is 
it, it, but, it's it's so and i love i love that that's all that there is like they don't go yeah. out of their way to put like a button on it or to have this you know what i was doing when you came by my house or no there's it's just you you just see him rip the duct tape off the door you see him close the oven turn it off like you do kind of a slow zoom in on it and that's all you need to know about where this guy is right now yeah that's all you need to know and, and so at the end when he does get his his hero moment and mm-hmm. he ends up, you know, uh, sacrificing himself to save the sorority house by exploding the sorority house. But I mean, he <laughs> you you understand what's led him to that moment and he's still able to do what he wants to do. But in a way that allows him, uh, I guess, a much more heroic send off and, and the chance to actually do something good for his community rather than something that would be on its face fairly selfish. Yeah, and you know, you go straight from sort of this emotionally poignant moment down to what is is it's a standout scene. I mean, when he goes down to the armorer and it's Dick Miller, yeah, um, says I'm gonna need your basic flamethrower. I love that, it's, and he it's has a joke. one. It's a joke until it isn't. Like it's a joke yeah. right up until it's not, and even yeah. and then it gets funnier somehow. Yeah, <laughs> like they're joking, they're having a good time, and he's like, "Well, you see, shotgun." really have a requisition form loads it oh well then we're gonna have a problem yeah i guess we are (laughs) (laughs) and you see like all the color drain out of dick miller's face and and then it and that's when it gets even funnier is because you realize he's yeah he's he's paying homage to terminator right there which you know terminator in turn is playing homage to the good the bad and the ugly which Mm -hmm. is in turn paying homage to the public enemy from 1931 you know where you have the guy comes in you know hey i'm gonna i'm gonna rob this store this gun store with guns from the store you know um (laughs) that it's it's the same kind of thing. So I think that that homage is sort of multi-layered because it goes on and on and on back uh, through movie history, which is kind of cool. <laughs> it does seem like something Decker would really like put in and, and, and kind of relish putting in to a movie like that. Oh, I think so. I mean, because it's, it's not just horror homages, you know, it's not just that kind of B movie. It's also noir. Mm-hmm. It's also, um, you know, the fact that, um, Ray Cameron drives around in that old what, 50s uh, car, police car, is pretty funny, too. You know, he's, he's reading, just sort of... I, when he wakes up from the dream, he's got a Raymond Chandler novel on his chest, too. He does, yeah. Like, all those little, like, little tidbits, that those little Easter eggs that you kind of sprinkle through that mm-hmm. make you realize again, this is a character from a different movie. We're going to put him Mm -hmm. in this one and see what happens. And it works really well. Yeah. I find it, um, rewarding upon multiple rewatches, you know, to, to catch more. And it's not a Easter eggs in sort of a fan service way necessarily. It's more like it just adds to the texture of this world and this film, you know? Um, and I, I love completely that. agree. Yeah, it 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 because they're I think they're legitimate Easter eggs. They're not yeah. there for you. They're not really explicitly there for you to find. They're there because the director really liked them and wanted to put them in. And if you happen to like them and want to find them, they're there for you to find. Um, but yeah. I think in these days, like people put in Easter eggs just to put in Easter eggs. I mean, um, 
I don't get me wrong. I love a good Easter egg hunt. I have a lot of fun mm. with them. I love picking up on those little things, but I think sometimes we can, we can go a little overboard with those, particularly when it becomes like a fan servicey kind of a thing. I, yeah. I just am out on fan service as a general policy, but that's, again, that's me. Your mileage may vary on that take. Sure. Yeah. We're, not, we're talking, we're not talking about Ghostbusters afterlife. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. I did not mention a specific name of any movie, so I'm just you know. We all knew what you were thinking. I think. I uh, yeah, so. Brett. And it's I'm, just I'm, the most recent example, Stephen. Yeah. I no, and but here's the thing. I I understand that. That is not the only movie I was referencing. You know, like I said, it happens yeah. a lot. Like it, it's become more the norm than it is the exception. It has. Um, which yeah, I which I lament. But yeah, Decker again. Decker's putting him in there because that's stuff that he likes. And again, if you're if you're on his wavelength, you're going to pick up what he's putting down. Otherwise, you're going to remain blissfully unaware, and that's fine. That, and to be fair, this fan. was and to be fair, this was at a time when that wasn't really happening. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't um, you know that kind of Easter egg hunt expectation in every movie that you saw. You know, I mean. By the time you get to Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction, you know, he's hacking his frame with, you know, every kind of reference he possibly can. You know, Joe Dante does that, too, though. I mean, Gremlins 2 is a great example. Gremlins 2 is 100% that, yeah. Of of this kind of of thing, which, you know, I I freaking love Gremlins 2. But it just has, uh, you know, this feels like it, it was doing it sort of before a lot of other people were. And um, it it's fun in that it sense, is. you know. Um, there's some, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through this sort of later section of the movie because you know we've we've got the uh, we've got this is this is where it just kind of reaches a level where it's like what the fuck, yeah, you know, um, where there they have the flame. Movie where I thought that it's the beginning yeah. of the movie where I'm like, what the hell movie am I watching? And then it's yeah. the end when you've set up all these pieces, but that honestly, that's where I'm having the most fun is because Absolutely. you've set all this stuff up and then mm-hmm. you just get to watch chaos unfold for 20 minutes. And it's so yeah. fun when he shows up at the sorority house with the flamethrower <laughs> um, and, and uh, Cynthia sort of blissfully unaware that Brad, the Bradster has been Bradster. taken over by the uh, by the brain parasites. I I laughed so hard at that because she is clearly like the first the first girl that opens the door. I'm so sure. Um, and <laughs> so she calls out for Cynthia. Cynthia comes down, doesn't even look at Brad. I think mm-hmm. because she's like trying to steal herself up for this moment, where she's going to yeah. break his heart or whatever. So she's not even looking at him, and he is just sitting there behind her with just that dead-eyed, ex- literally dead-eyed expression on his face. And she, there's a moment where she kind of like starts to turn back to him, but doesn't all the way. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what it's, is this girl doing? <laughs> and slugs start shooting out of his mouth. It's <laughs> <laughs> That was the moment where my wife started paying attention to the movie and went, ew, what is this? What are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man, that, that just cracks me up every time. And then it's so good. And then when um, it's nothing personal, Brad, he shoots him in with the flamethrower. Um, and the fact oh. that they were using a real flamethrower yes. on this movie is just insane. Yeah. 
right? That's yeah. not a prop. That's that is an actual military grade flamethrower. Yeah. Um insane. Just yeah. absolutely nuts. Um and that, that would you never know, be allowed today. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, uh, did they use a real flamethrower on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I I can't imagine they did. I mean, Tarantino probably could have insisted on it, but I can't imagine why they would. Um, yeah. I mean, I here's the thing. If it was real, it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think it was. Um, yeah. But again, it, it really it really wouldn't surprise me if it if it really was a real flamethrower. Part of me wonders if this movie might have given him the idea. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can pretty much guarantee Tarantino loves this movie. So yeah. <laughs> he is he has absolutely seen it. And whether yeah, I he maybe it did. Maybe maybe that is a real flamethrower. I don't know. So yeah, so that I mean we talk about what this movie is referencing, but I think we gotta talk about what this movie inspired too, because I saw all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. From like Slither. Yeah, oh yeah by resident there's a lot of resident evil stuff that got that got inspired by this that i can speak to video game wise like the like, zombie animal stuff in particular the zombie animals uh the the flamethrower the slugs there's a whole game about the resident evil game about slugs Interesting. Um, wow okay yeah um that is, is really close to that final scene where there's a giant mass of them in the basement right like mm-hmm. okay very close. Which also reminds me a lot of the final scene of Slither as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're facing down, um, you know, giant slug infested um, Michael Rooker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, we could, that's that's another one we could probably cover on this podcast one day is mm-hmm. Slither. Probably. Yeah. Sure. Um, Dead Alive um, with the lawnmower killing the zombie. Okay. Yeah. 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 That There's too. some really creative kills in this movie for... Uh-huh. For for what for what we're doing here, I was I was really impressed with some of these kills. They're a lot of fun. Uh, I've already called out the the hairspray and the cigarette kill, which might have been my favorite. But that lawnmower one is mwah, that's also really fantastic. Yeah, it, which, uh, that's I mean that's an arachnophobia related too, right? The hairspray and the like a oh, match yeah. or a lighter. Yeah, I've not seen it, but that sounds right. Yeah, of course that had also uh, been like in James Bond movies too. I think before this. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, for, for a movie that it seems like no one saw it's again, it's one of those weird things about cult cinema. You never know who's watching your thing. You never know who's picking up on what you're putting down. You never know what's going to stick with somebody. And so that a movie that is, or was at the time seemingly just kind of a one note, write off of a, of a, of a project has become so indelible has pretty Mm -hmm. much, you know, made Tom Atkins kind of cemented his place in as horror royalty. I mean, you could say Halloween three did that, but let's be honest, it's night of the creeps. Um, you know, that, that gives us such fondness for Fred Decker, even to this day, despite the fact that his directing career pretty much went up after RoboCop, you know, by the end of the early nineties, I guess. Um, you know, that this, this movie's legacy is, is long, um, that it mm-hmm. inspired these scenes from these other movies. Like this is, this is a classic, I guess we could say. Yeah. You know, and it all started with that line, thrill me, thrill me. That's the first thing that popped into Fred Decker's head was mm-hmm. what, and essentially it was that expanded on to, you know, who would say that first of all, uh-huh. and second of all, 
what's the movie that I want to see? What would thrill me? Awesome. And he wrote Night of the Creeps. It It's so fun. Like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this about another movie coming up, but I just like this, this movie just, I'm sitting there and I'm, I don't know what I'm watching. It takes me a while to get in, to get a bead on what this movie is because mm-hmm. Early on, it could be one of any number of things because it's kind of set up as a slasher. It's set up as an alien invasion movie. And then it becomes none of those things. It's, in fact, a zombie movie. Um, But it takes you a while to get to that. So you're constantly asking yourself, what is this? What am I watching? What have I gotten myself into? And then by the time you just surrender yourself to the movie, by the time you hit those last 20 minutes where it's just like fun zombie kills in a sorority house, you you're just you're along for the ride and you're having an absolute blast and it you know screw the brad sir i hate that guy um and uh and you know just thrill me baby yeah it's great oh i love it well i i kind of you know when you talk about someone like brad i mean he's he's the great antagonist of you know the college films you know he's the you know nerds guy he's, you know? yeah he's he's the ted mcginley in revenge of the yeah. nerds he's yeah. the the um uh forget the name of the animal house the guy from animal house um sure but you know he's uh, that's that's what that's the role he's playing and that's how you know that this is a also in addition to being a pastiche of those old corman pictures a pastiche of those you know 80s slob versus snob college films too like sure. it, all those pieces are there and set up really well right from the beginning. And one of the things I like is the character of Cynthia is really not like a lot of the girls in some of these in some of those kinds of movies. She's she's very much her own person. You know, as soon as she as soon as she sees Brad being cruel, she's like, OK, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. she does the little winding up her finger, her middle finger thing to him. Mm-hmm. The Jack um, in the Box is, middle finger. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. And, um, and, you know, but that sort of brings the rage of, of Brad down on, on Chris. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because it's like, you stole my girl. It's like, and you know, he actually treats, Chris actually treats her very well, you know, very, very kindly. And, um, respectfully and which is not the norm for 80s comedies of this of no, this vein really no it's not it's not and, and that's sort of a direct reference to revenge of the nerds in particular um mm-hmm. so yeah uh, <laughs> especially letting her be the one that uses the flamethrower at the end yeah right let's give you some empowerment i'm not gonna give you the shotgun i'll give you the flamethrower yeah. I, I think I think what I like about her character is that it builds to that point like because at the beginning of this movie i'm like this this woman is playing this all interiority. Like there's nothing to this character. They're not showing me anything. Uh, And then by the time Brad dumps or like she dumps Brad after he's mean to Chris and JC, you're like, okay, there's something, there's something forming here. And then by the end of the movie, she's a great, a badass with, with a flamethrower. And you're like, okay, I'm, 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 I like the, where this character has gone over the course of, I was not very positive starting out, but by the end of the movie, I'm like, rock on. All right. Yeah. You go girl. And one of the things that's, that's great is, you know, she really is given some time to be in shock about, you know, her former boyfriend's face being set on fire. And, you know, she, she, she just, uh, she puts on the flamethrower 
And she said, and he's like, come on, shoot it. Then all of a sudden she just snaps out of it and starts, <laughs> it starts going for it. Yeah. And uh, it's great. You know, they're, when they're trapped in the, um, the tool shed together and she great just, plan. yeah, great plan. <laughs> she just takes the, uh, the flamethrower, puts it up against the zombie's head and fires. <laughs> it's point blank range stuff. right through his yeah. eyeball i love it yeah it's so good like like i said some really good kills in this movie really uh, great kills a- really imaginative um to pull in a flamethrower you know it's one of those things where it, it's, and, it's and like somehow yeah, this have is it the make sense. moment yeah yeah that you that you can pull in a flamethrower make it make sense and it's an instrumental part of the end of your movie yeah. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'm I'm totally down for what this movie's putting in front of me right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's Night of Night of the Creeps is is hella fun. Uh I'm I am I had a good time. I think it's an underrated horror gem. For sure. And I think more people need to be talking about this movie, quite frankly. It's 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 one that I had heard of peripherally, and then Brian, you suggested it, and I was like, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about it. And I had maybe seen a few other things about it. And then I watched it this morning and I was like, you know what? Damn me for not giving this thing a shot sooner. Cause this is, this is hella fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to turn you guys onto it <laughs> because you, this is one of those movies that, you know, I also, you know, discovered it pretty late and it's just instantly became a favorite. And uh, it's one of those rare movies where it's like, you know, first time watch, it was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what the kind of movie I want to see. And then um, just gets better every time I rewatch it. it just gets more fun. And I see more of what's going on. And it's so easily rewatchable because, I mean, it's 88 minutes and it's just fun. And, and it's, it's fun. Right. It's a thrill me movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's at the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. It's it's a thrill yeah. me movie. It's got so much going on. There's literally something for everybody in this movie, yeah. um, and it's it's a great time. And it's a shame that it didn't get um, didn't do better at the box office. Uh, so this movie opens on August twenty second, nineteen eighty six. Uh, a little early for the Halloween season, but you know, if if it had if it had some legs, it could stick around. Uh, up against some serious um, other horror um, gems around this time, uh, it it did not do anything overseas and uh, or anything internationally. It ended up at five hundred and ninety one thousand dollars at the domestic box office. So wow, did not take off. Didn't barely cracked half a million. Um. It opens, uh, it does not open in the top 10. Give me a second here. <laughs> it opens at number 26. Wow. Uh, and it earns uh, about $221 million in its opening weekend. So uh, it makes- $221,000. right. Yes, thank you. Yeah, gosh. Well, how did it not open number one with those numbers? <laughs> I'm an idiot is how. Um, 221,000. Correct. So it makes about half its budget up just in its opening weekend and it doesn't even open big. Um, number one at the box office is one of the great, great horror films of this era by a director referenced in this movie. It is David Cronenberg's the fly, the fly Mm -hmm. in its second weekend. It is grossed uh, about four, about, I'm sorry, about $16 million so far in just its opening two weekends. 
Um, in second place, up from 24, probably the the start of its wide release, is a, a film by the aforementioned, or a film inspired by, or I guess adapted from, the aforementioned Stephen King. Uh, it is Stand By Me, mm. uh, the Rob Reiner joint. Uh, in third place, another movie by a director referenced in this film, uh, a movie that we brought up earlier in this episode. In fact, it's James Cameron's Aliens. Uh, which is in its sixth weekend and has earned about 61 million so far in fifth place. uh, Again, another director referenced in this movie. I told you it's up against some steep horror competition this weekend. (laughs) I guess so. Is uh, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two opening this weekend at number five. Um, And so, I mean, that's the three directors referenced in this film beating out this movie in its opening weekend. Um, and it's then poetic in a way it is kind of a, a little yeah. bit um, <laughs> rounding out the top 10. You've got karate kid part two armed and dangerous, nothing in common extremities and ruthless people. Uh, and then of course I'm going to shout out another movie we might cover on this podcast one day, Michael Mann's Manhunter, uh, which mm. in its second weekend is down, uh, down from eight to 11. Uh, so I, I do love that movie though. So I'd like to shout nah, it out great whenever movie. I can. It's a great movie. Yeah. It, it, I think it's my favorite Hannibal Lecter movie. Mm-hmm. And I would maybe even say Brian Cox better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe one of the hottest takes I have. Yeah. Um, no, you, you want a hot take? I think Silence of the Lambs is overrated. There's a hot mm-hmm. take. I, it's a perfect movie, but okay. Go off, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it no. perfect? I wouldn't say that, but I, w- I think I love that movie. But again, it, that's another one of those like early horror movies that I was that I saw, or I guess horror adjacent movies, because there was I'm sure there are some that would debate its horrorness. Yeah, I think so. I I, <laughs> I will always have a special place in my heart for Silence of the Lambs, because um, when I was 12, my brother and I uh, convinced my grandma to take us to see Silence of the Lambs because she thought it was a movie about sheep farming. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, no. Right. And you know what? We went to lunch or something after that, and my grandma was like, that was awful. I just hated that. My brother was like agreeing with her, though he was Uh lying. Sure. I said, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> You're a man of your principles, Brian, and that's why we love you. So anyway, uh, it was, and then my brother and I were talking later that night, and my brother goes, "Yeah, that was pretty cool." <laughs> so. That's like the time that I watched. My grandmother suggested that we rent The Water Boy, Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, uh-huh. because it had Jerry Reed in it, uh, and she wanted. <laughs> She was a big Jerry Reed fan and wanted to watch a movie with Jerry Reed in it. So we watched Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, I, me and my grandma. And I was probably like 13 or 14 at the time. Um, but yeah, I, it seems you're I, I mean, I think you win, but similar kind of this is not what you think it is, grandma, kind of a kind of a situation. <laughs> She didn't say she thought it was about sheep farming until later in my defense. So Sure. Um, Well, you know, sure. But hey, if your grandma's going to take you to see, you know, uh, a really awesome R-rated thriller, you say yes. That's right. 
So uh, Night of the Creeps, the tomatometer score on this one is a 74%. Um, appropriately fresh. Not what I was expecting from uh, Rotten Tomatoes, but sometimes Rotten Tomatoes surprises me. Yeah. Uh, the meta score is a 62 based on generally favorable reviews from eight critics. And the Letterboxd score is a 3.6. Uh, Brian, if you had to rate Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps out of five stars, how many stars would you give this movie? I give it four and a half. That's my personal feeling on it. All right. It's, I like it that much. Yeah. That I mean, that's that is high praise. And you did say it had become one of your favorites. So that I mean, that mm-hmm. does make a lot of sense. Brett, what about you? I give it a four. So right give, up there. Right on. It, yeah. It's real good. It's real, real good. And one of my I, new horror favorites. It it kind of is that for me. Like it's one of those I'm like, as soon as I'm done with this recording, I am probably gonna put it on my Amazon wish list. That that Scream Factory. Um I gave it four as well. Like it, it's, it's real fun. Like I just, I had a blast. I had a good time. Like I, I came in my expectations, Brian, I, I cannot tell you they were low. Like my expectations were very low for this movie, which I know, I, <laughs> I know which, they is are no, no, yeah. which is no slight to you, but I started oh, I and then I'm like, and the, and the more I get in, got into it, the more I was just like, and then by the end, just again, that, that last 20 minutes with where they're killing all the zombies, I'm cackling like a mad king on my couch, just having the best time. Like you, because you have all that set up and because you're able to do it. another thing I really loved about this movie that I forgot to shout out, David Pamer, undead David Pamer walking naked down the hallway past the cop, literally the scissors hanging out of his neck, uh-huh. walks past the cop and goes, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. I love that stuff. Hey, you know, like the gender, screaming like banshees. <laughs> over and over again. It's like his yeah. only line in this movie is screaming like banshees. <laughs> like it just it this movie is insane and it shouldn't work, but it does. And that that alone like puts it into a like a special echelon for me. Like yeah. I think I might like I think I like this better than Monster Squad. And Monster Squad is one of those that I've I've been like, Monster Squad is a lot of fun. I like Monster Squad, but I I think Night of the Creeps eclipses it for me. Like this this movie is just so, so much fun. Yeah. I don't know. I got some nostalgia for Monster Squad that might put it over this one, but it's real close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real, real close. Yeah. It just yeah. And see, I mean Monster Squad I didn't see for the first time until just a few years ago. So I'm I'm still relatively not whereas i was all about monster squad as a kid good lord i uh, again that uh, 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 a thing but brett says that surprises no one no one (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you brett i was same way same way yeah um and you know that's just me coming to a lot of this stuff late like i don't have a lot of the nostalgic goodwill for a lot of this stuff but i have to like it on its own merits so but i think that put is you know finding something like this where you're just like this is gold why why are we not why is everyone not talking about this movie all the time um it's it's fun it's real real fun i like it let's let's do night of the creeps two or three there's so many i'm finding as i'm talking with various people in the horror community lately and having them introduce me to new movies like this one and i'm discovering so many hidden gems that nobody talks about my Bloody Valentine is the first example for me of a movie yeah. that I didn't didn't even know existed until I had to watch it. And as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, this movie is incredible. Yeah, like I bought I bought the Steelbook the same day. You did. Like I, I love that movie. And I'm like, what other ones have I been sleeping on? Mm-hmm. And here's another one. Like it's yeah. 
there's so many hidden horror gems from like the late seventies and eighties that nobody talks about more mm-hmm. people should be. Cause I mean, at that time they're literally just cranking those things out and every, cause if, if there's one genre of film, you can crank a bunch of them out at a relatively low budget for a high yield profit. It's a horror movie. Like those things you can make them on a tiny, tiny budget. And then if they hit, they sell for millions. If they don't, okay, brush it aside. We got four more coming. Don't worry about it. Like it's just, and so there's so many of those that are good that for whatever reason, just never hit. Um, And it's up for us to, to pan for gold. And sometimes we're going to find a lot of fool's gold. Sometimes we're just going to find a lot of rocks and dirt, but every now and again, you'll, you'll strike gold. And, and that's what night of the creeps is for sure. Hey, that One. feels good. <laughs> it's so yeah. so glad you guys that you guys enjoy this, and I hope thank you, sir. That maybe yeah. listen, that maybe this uh, episode can you know turn more people onto it because it deserves I hope it. So. Yeah. yeah, and you know, um, Fred Decker has talked about wanting to make a sequel that would be um, a sequel of the theatrical cut in which uh, Tom Atkins survives the explosion. Okay. And, um, has, and, and it's several, it's many years later and, and, um, it would have to be at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it would be, it would be a sort of a legacy sequel kind of thing, but you know, having to fight the, uh, the brain zombies again. So I, it, it's just, um, I don't know. I think it would be a blast to see something like that. Just to see Atkins in this role again mm-hmm. would be so much fun. So the fact He's the, clearly that Fred Decker time actually time. has a sequel in his mind that he could do with Tom Adkins is like, just, you know, give him all the money to do this. You Please, know, somebody, yeah. I know we've got a lot of wealthy financiers that listen to this podcast. I need you guys to focus your attention on Fred Decker making a night of the creep sequel. Please. And thank you. I mean, that seems like a Blumhouse thing. Like he, he could probably, and I don't know what his relationship is with Blum, but that sounds like something Blum would do, or at yeah. least would, if he can get, you know, someone else attached, like to kind of help push it up, maybe then. I mean, he and Shane Black still work together. That's true. You know, uh, Fred Decker co-wrote The Predator, another the movie Predator. we talked about on this podcast one day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As a franchise yeah. killer. Yeah. Um, well, it 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 not only killed the franchise, it was also supposed to be a reboot of the franchise and it failed to do that too. So, well, and it's also to be fair, it, they didn't shoot uh entirely the script that they wrote. They right. made alterations. There's a lot of a lot of problems with that movie. Yeah, so which um, we if we'll talk about when when we get yeah. there. Yeah, I haven't but, actually yeah. seen it yet, but being but being a it's Fred Decker fan, I'm sure I'll get around to it eventually. Um, it's not that good. Um, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of problems on the face of the thing. It's mm-hmm. it, it it does kind of have that those legacy sequel vibes. You get Jake Busey playing the son of Gary Busey's character from Predator Two. Sure. Like, so you got some of that in there. It's and it's very. It still kind of has that feel of Predator One, where you've got like the misfit um, commandos led by Thomas Jane. Keegan Michael Key is in there too. Like you've got kind of your your random misfits. So the Predator has people to kill. And then mm-hmm. you've also got this weird um, Jacob Tremblay Halloween kind of subplot that okay. feels tacked on and also very weird. Um, but, you know, how Shane Black puts everything at Christmas. This is the movie yeah. he puts at Halloween so that huh. Jacob Tremblay can wear the Predator mask to go trick or treating. Um, 
Like that's a scene in the movie. Okay. Yep. It it's well, weird. It's right. real weird. So there you go. I'm not play. good. It's not good. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not good. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. One thing I do need to mention so that the people yelling at their their computers at me right now or their their podcatcher devices uh, right now do not continue to yell at me. There is a movie that is in some markets called Night of the Creeps 2. It is a 2007 direct-to-video film called Zombie Town. Uh, and though in some markets it is called Night of the Creeps 2, it is in fact not a sequel to Night of the Creeps. In fact, has nothing in common with Night of the Creeps. Uh, it's kind of one of like those um, you called the Switchblade sisters uh, the Warriors too, despite the fact that it came out two years before and has nothing to do with any of the characters or set pieces in the Warriors. But, you know, whatever. Uh, which is a reason why we'll talk about both Switchblade sisters and the Warriors on this podcast. There one you day, go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it there. So for those of you being like, well, why? How can you cover Night of the Creeps? It has a sequel. It does not have a sequel. Zombie Town has nothing to do with Night of the Creeps. So there you go. Take that, Internet. Yeah. Mm, I stopped <laughs> 20 tweets right there. What? Now, nah, 20 people don't <laughs> listen to this podcast. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> they do. <laughs> we love you guys. Um, Brian Kuyper, thanks again for coming on, man. We are always delighted oh, to have yeah. you on. And we are actually going to be talking to you, our patrons to get a chance to listen to you sooner rather than later, which is, I think, as good a time as any to tell people that if they have not subscribed to the $5 level on our Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod, now's a real good time because we're going to be talking uh, with Brian next month about one of his favorite movies that he has already mentioned on this podcast today. So um, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. But if if you are a patron and if you're if if you're really good at listening to what we've been talking about today, you probably already know what it is anyway. But um, Brian, Sorry we love for talking giving to that you. away, you know, no, you did not give anything <laughs> away. You okay, did not good. give anything away. It's fine. Honestly, it's it is. I think it's kind of a, um, a a tradition now for the guests that we are going to have on uh, our Patreon uh, kind of spill the beans about what episode they're doing on the Patreon because <laughs> our friend Hope. Our friend Hope, whose episode is dropping as of the time of this release, uh, her episode will be dropping uh, later this week, or I guess next week. Um, she she did the same, and we hadn't even announced that we were doing that podcast yet. She was mm. like, "Oh yeah, and I'm going to be talking about the Matrix with you guys on your Patreon." And we're like, "Yeah, we haven't we haven't meant even referenced that yet." She's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Ah, eh, you're fine. We'll, we'll do it now. We're doing it live, so is fine. Is fine." But, All right. But Brian, tell us about what you've got going on. Tell us about uh, the pieces you have coming out. Uh, tell us about uh, the pieces that you're proud of. Tell us about Movies for Life. Just the floor is yours, sir. Take it away. Okay. Well, um, I've got an interview coming out uh, pretty soon with, um, uh, speaking of Corman, uh, with Catherine Corman, uh, who is Roger Corman's daughter. Uh, so that's oh. going to be in my first interview. Uh, hitting awesome. bloody disgusting soon. Um, I'm excited about that. And then I have, uh, uh, I'm taking a look at the whole silent night, deadly night franchise, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, warts and all, uh, to see yeah, how that yeah. goes. I should have my, my piece on, uh, for my column, uh, gods and monsters, which is about classic horror, uh, generally pre 1970 horror. Uh, of course, November was the big month of 
the release of Frankenstein and back in 1931. Uh, kind of the reason I wanted to do the column in the first place was so that I could write about Frankenstein. Um, it uh, is a, an important movie to me. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and so that piece should be hidden, um, bloody disgusting anytime. Um, I've got a piece coming out on, uh, as I already mentioned on manor vellum about, uh, the all through the, and all through the house story, uh, as a, mm-hmm. from the comic book to the film version from 1972, uh, to the television version written by Fred Decker, um, mm-hmm. uh, for the tales from the Crick Tup television show on HBO. And it was fun to look into that. So that's sort of the holiday themed stuff I've got coming up. I've also have, you know, always have, I have things coming out pretty much every month on Manor Vellum and Bloody Disgusting. And those are sort of my uh, homes right now. I, I haven't, I've tried pitching a few other places, but I haven't heard much, um, which is fine. I'm That's very happy loss. with where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got a lot of attention for a piece I wrote on toxic fandom, which I know is something you guys like to talk about. Um, oh, we, I, we loved that article. I retweeted it every, every chance I yeah. got. It yeah. it was spot on, man. Everything you you more you put so much more eloquently everything that we've been trying to say since we started this yeah. thing. So yeah, like well done, man. Seriously, that was such a great oh. read. Um, yeah, I've, I, I've, yeah, loved it. And of course, you know, I've stayed out of the comment section on Bloody Disgusting. Um, Smart. Then uh, so, um, but you know, hey, I've I there were a few people who. Uh, commented and quote tweeted who clearly did not understand what I'm saying. So what I was saying. So I'm glad that you guys did. <laughs> oh yeah. It. Um, but anyway, I, I, it was just something that it's, and I've written about it before in, in, on manner vellum as well. I, I wrote a whole thing comparing misery to, uh, uh, to sort of the current state of toxic fandom. So, Oh hell, I got to go find that one. I haven't read that yeah. one. I gotta, I gotta track that one down. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's called, I'm your number one fan. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I'm just pl- trucking along with that stuff. Um, of course we've got, um, the show with, that I do with Michelle, uh, movies for life, uh, Michelle Egan, my co-host, uh, and mm-hmm. I cover a couple of movies that mean a lot to us, uh, personally, that's kind of how we are, how we do this thing. Um, and just talk them through and we've recently done um the invisible man uh we did 1933 and 2020 version of the invisible man on our show and Both i thought that was a really such great movies yeah yeah and i thought that episode was really good a really good conversation uh yesterday we recorded a epic length episode um on our favorite Christmas movies, uh, hers was Scrooged uh, okay. from Richard Donner, and mine is It's a Wonderful Life. So uh, we had uh, quite a discussion on that, and I am excited. On those two movies? Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that one, too, yeah. Yeah. So, And we've got some, some plans coming up uh, for the year ahead that we're really excited about. We're going to start having some guests on to talk about their favorite movies, too. And so nice. – um, I'm I'm sure that both of you are on the docket <laughs> for that at some point. It may take us a while because we only hit about every five episodes or so one of those. But uh, sure, hey, we'll, I'm, it's an yeah. honor just to be considered. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. We would, we would, uh, yeah, we um, 
just we're we're looking at people who just we're friendly with and enjoy talking with and uh, just want to hear about because we've we've shared what our favorite movies are our forever favorite movies so we're going to bring on some people to talk about theirs as well so nice we're excited to do that that's yeah. awesome that and if you guys are not listening if, if you guys are sleeping on movies for life stop it it's a great podcast and you guys should all be listening to it <laughs> if you guys are good yeah. here's the thing if you're not following brian kuyper on social media so that you can tell when all of these things are coming out. Cause the dude writes prolifically and it's always top notch stuff. The podcasts are great. Like he is, he is a, a, a number one plus um, uh, content creator on the internet. And honestly thrilled, thrilled to call you a friend, thrilled to be able to, to have you on um, thrilled to be able to have these conversations with you um, because, and, and you're a consummate professional, uh, just such a gentleman. Um, that really, I, I can't say enough good things about you, Brian. I love, I love you, man. You're awesome. You're, you're very kind, Stephen. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> it's always, it's always a joy to talk to you guys. Um, and hey, I will be on whenever you want to talk about whatever you want. Because, well, now, you know, now we know you're our Fred Decker point person. We're going to start so. <laughs> putting those on the docket. So. The Craven uh, expert, the Decker expert, we got yeah. you. On that's lock. true. We we actually have a Craven episode scheduled for January too. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you'd want to double dip so close, but um, oh well, maybe we can talk off mic what the episode yeah, is. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. I again, I don't know if you want to double dip so close, but that is, hey, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. I, I'm always happy. I mean, it's I'm always happy to be on. So, and it's, it's a joy to talk to you gentlemen and, um, you know, get into, get into fun stuff like this and oh yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And Hey, if you ever want to talk about something that's not horror, I like that too. <laughs> I like all kinds of movies. So. I, I'll have to send you the master list and see what, yeah. see what strikes your fans. Cause I know you are, uh, you're widely watched in terms of film. So I try, I try. So it's been it's been tough to get much watching in lately with, uh, you know, full time yeah. job and writing about, you know, five movies in one article and things like that. But, you know, hey, it's uh, it's uh, it's a joy to do it. It's a pleasure. I was going to say it sounds, sounds it still sounds like a pretty sweet gig, even though even if it does minimize your ability to watch for pleasure, it does sound like a pretty, pretty sweet gig. Yeah, I, I'm certainly not complaining. <laughs> awesome. Well, and keep keep it up, because, again, you've you've got you've got a couple of avid fans of your work right here. So we, we want to uh, continue to see what you come up with. So please keep coming up with it. Um, where can we find you on social media and for, for those of our fans who are not following you on social media as they should be. Yeah, sure. Um, well, excuse me. You can find me personally at Brian D Kuiper. Uh, it's K E I P E R. Uh, so it's, my last name is hard to spell. It's I should have the, come up with the, a better handle, but it's just it's, my name. It's in the title of this episode too. If you guys need help spelling it. Ah, excellent. Okay. And then, um, also I'm going to plug, uh, where you can find our podcast, uh, at movie life pod. Uh, so follow us there and check us out and yeah, would love to have you listen in and join us. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, follow them on Twitter too. Cause they give away movie codes. Brett and I have both won one movies <laughs> from yeah. them, uh, which is pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta follow to play. So yeah come on 
<laughs> well, I've and I've got a. We always kind of have. Oh, I just bought another movie. Want to give it away? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, we've we're uh, we're good with that. Um, yeah. And I've it, I've got a quite a backlog of ones I want to give away before they ex- hit their expiration dates. So I understand. I got uh, Promising Young Woman from you, which was. I, I I knew that movie was just talked about as being good. Holy crap, I was not prepared for how good that movie was going to be. Yeah, I know. I know. And that that was one that Michelle had told me, Brian, you got to watch this. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, because I, I, if if you listen to the Invisible Man episode, you know, I, I share some sort of personal stuff about why movies like that are difficult for me. Sure. Um, and so... Uh, watching it was was like I was nervous, but I'm glad I did. And it was it's it really is a good movie. It's it's so good. It's such a there's I'm not gonna pull. I mean I won't I won't lie. It's it's a bit of a gut punch, but it's yeah. it's so well done. It's it's such a good good movie. Um, but yeah, so um, movies for life, excellent podcast. Brian D. Kuyper, fantastic guest. Um, again, anytime, let us know. Come on back. We love having you. Um, we are the disenfranchised podcast, so you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd and Facebook at disenfranchpod. You can shoot us an email disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any questions, anything, uh, you want to ask us about why we do what we do. If you want to suggest any movies that you want to see us cover in 2022, we've got, we've got a few spots left for 2022 at this point. Um, where our, our, our calendar is filling up fast people. Um, so if you want to see us talk about something in particular, let us know and we'll try to get it, get it on the schedule for you. Uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd at chewy walrus. Brett, where can we find you on social media all these days? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd at sus, S U S underscore warlock. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. And once again, Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, and and we'll, like I said, our patrons get a chance to hear about you or hear from you again very shortly. Um, about me. <laughs> about you. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about you too, I guess. I don't know. We'll get a chance to hear from you again on our Patreon. Uh, again, at the $5 tier, uh, Unenfranchised is the name of the podcast. And if you've been paying very close attention to this episode, you know exactly what movie he's going to be talking about on that podcast. Um, but as we mentioned before, our friend Hope's episode on the Matrix Revolution is dropping next weekend or next week, next Wednesday, I believe. Uh, so just under a week from when this episode drops. Uh, and again, you got to be a $5 level patron. Uh, but we do have some cool stuff on the $3 level. We just recently dropped our uh, episode on our top five favorite Christmas songs. And we've got another episode that's going to be dropping on Christmas Day of our uh, $3 level disenfranchised podcast where we count down pop culture lists from five to one. Uh, so top five Christmas songs. We've also done top five Thanksgiving dishes, top five. We had a, a Bond stravaganza as our very first episode. So top five Bond actors, Bond movies, Bond songs. Um, we, we've done a, a, quite a few top five lists. So give us a follow, check us out there and uh, many more to come. Um, so that's that's what we've got. That's what we've got to talk about. Uh, once again, uh, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. For my co-host, Brett Wright, and our very special guest, Mr. Brian Kuyper, thrill me. <laughs>